0: Hey, Spencer, come up here, man. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. <laughs> come on up here. And this is Spencer Longfellow. That's Michael's son over there. Come on, Michael, get up here, man. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. He doesn't like crying in front of people. So Spencer's leaving today for the Marine Corps basic training, 13 weeks. <laughs> 13 weeks of pure comfort and joy. And I think the recruiter's here today if you need to talk to somebody, just saying, just throwing that out there. So anyway, I want to pray for you, my man. Heavenly Father, we lift up our brother, this arrow of God, out into the world. And we are honored today to send him into our United States military and the Marine Corps. And Lord, I pray you protect his heart every day, protect his life, but I also pray that while he's there, he grows up into that warrior of God that you've always called him to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love you guys. All right. Love you, buddy. Oh, all right. Awesome. Thank you. You need another hug? It's okay. It's, okay. it's okay. it's all right. It's good. Love you, man. Love you, buddy. Yeah. That's, that's exciting stuff right there. Are you guys here? There's a lot of people here for that, not to be any more than that, here. You guys here? All right, good deal. I'm going to need your help today. I mean, you've had an extra hour of sleep, or you spent it watching uh, Netflix or something. But anyway, so at Ordinary Faith, we have a framework that everything we do kind of falls into we start by trusting Jesus, we live to honor God, and we mature or grow by helping others. So let's let's do this together. I'm going to say we start, and you're going to answer the rest of it. So the bold is the answer. This is an open book quiz. All right? We start by? Trusting Jesus. We live to? Honor God. And we grow by? Helping others. Today is a, a live to honor God message. That's where it fits into the framework, okay? So uh, today we're going to talk about actual, true, real Freedom in Christ. And um, the thing is, as Dave was teaching last weekend, Pastor Dave Limmer was here last weekend, really enjoyed having him. But as he was teaching, he kept saying that phrase, in Christ. And I kept hearing people go, not out loud, but they just like inside go, oh. Like, I don't think I can do that. And I just want to remind you that being in Christ isn't something you do. It's something that's done for you. Amen. It's something that's done for you. Amen. That's good, yeah. First Corinth, thank you. That's right. <laughs> First First Corinthians one thirty, I believe it, is, it says, "Of God are you in Christ? God put you there." Okay. So today I'm talking about some things that are that may challenge you, but I want to make this caveat right from the beginning. I'm not asking you to do the things that we are supposed to do today I'm asking you to go to someone who can do them through you You, because right uh, because freedom is not the freedom to do what you want freedom is the power to do what is right freedoms the power to do what's right so for this series I've been using history to kind of set up each topic we started with the Reformation and we talked about the Bible and how that the Bible being placed back as a foundational piece of human thinking and human intellect was key to the Reformation taking place and created much of the world in which we live. Then, the week after that, we talked about the First Great Awakening, which was a very Calvinist awakening because you had the key leaders being George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. Their attitude on revival at the end of the First Great Awakening was this. If God wills it, you'll have a revival. There's nothing you can do for it. Well, today, we're getting into the Second Great Awakening. We'll land on a guy named Charles Finney, but we'll talk about a couple guys before we get there. And then we're going to get into God's Word and see what we can learn from what happened. Charles Finney, his idea on revival was, if you meet the conditions, anyone can have revival. So, things were changing. Now, my my personal opinion, you may not care, but since I have the mic, I'll tell you anyway, (laughs) is that God, with each awakening, gives the church something that it is either lost or forgotten. He restores with each awakening something. And I personally believe we are in an awakening right now. I don't think we're waiting for one. I think we are in one. And that in that awakening, God is restoring something very powerful to the church. But that's just my opinion. That's not the word of God. The word of God is is that he loves you. And he is always ready to revive you, forgive you, restore you, those kinds of things. So those are kind of the background. So today we're talking about freedom. The last time we talked about this, we were in a, a 1750s America. Anybody remember 1750s? <laughs> no, I thought a couple hands would go up. I mean, <clears throat> so obviously that's before the revolution. That's before America was America. We're a very young country. The 1750s, first great awakening shaped America for the revolution. Well, the next revolution we get into, or the Great Awakening we get into, started in the 1800s and lasted 50 years and set us up for the Civil War, to be honest with you. Which doesn't sound great, like revival sets us up for war, sometimes it does. When enough people decide that right is right, it can create a whole lot of conflict in the country. And so, started about the 1800s, in, uh, actually in Kentucky, honey. It, <laughs> My wife's from Kentucky. Now, America in the 1750s was about 750,000 people. In that 50 years from 1750 to 1800, America had grown from 750,000 to 5 million, and a million of them were pressing into the West, and the West at that time was Kentucky. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's hilarious. Sorry, I just, it just happened. So anyway, so let's talk about James McCready just for a second. Because this guy opened the door at Red River. They had the first ever that we know of camp meeting, <clears throat> revival meetings outdoors, all this kind of thing. So for a, a week, they got together, sang songs, <clears throat> taught the scriptures, prayed, ministry. They ministered in prayer, ministered to each other. And uh, so Red River happened, and people got excited about God. It was a good meeting. Hundreds of people came to faith, started living for God. It was great. So Bacretti said, you know what? Red River's cool. I'm glad this happened, so let's do Gaspar River. And so they went to the next town. He pastored three churches in three different towns. He went to the next town and started a meeting there eight Thousand people showed up in the course of a week to encounter God in that meeting history records Eyewitness accounts were that people would would encounter the Holy Spirit and fall out on the ground that uh, They would get it was actually uh, they would just get overwhelmed the presence of God some people would just be uh, astonished for hours Then so you have another guy came along Barton Stone He said hey McCready's got a hold of something and he formed the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky. This revival changed the state of Kentucky for the next 100 years. 10,000 people, 10 to 25,000 people are estimated to come to that revival. This is where they would get this thing in the revival. The Holy Holy Spirit of God would fall and people would just get overwhelmed and they would get what came to be known in the mid-1800s as the jerks. And so people would start jerking. And then people would make fun of them. Oh look, there's something wrong with them. Then they would start jerking. It was hilarious. God has a sense of humor. I think he does. You may like, oh, if that ever happens to me, I'm leaving. Well, I know the Holy Spirit. He will chase you down. I'm just saying. Leave all you want. God came after me. In fact, we're going to talk about a guy today that, uh, that God came after. But that is later in the message. So Barton Stone formed the Cain Ridge Revival. What's happening? The way the world does church is changing. The high clergy standing high above the people and an acoustically built cathedral is vanishing, and the country preacher, horseback preacher, is rising up. Yeah, that's right. It is. It was a world changer. I think you should clap. Michael, thank you. I think you should. It was changing. Then we'll go back to the high intellectual labor. So you had Kentucky, and if you've ever been to Kentucky, I mean, they keep it simple down there, all right? But then you had Timothy Dwight. Timothy Dwight was the president of Harvard, of all places. Harvard was anti-Christian by the 1800s. I mean, not like today. Just kidding. Anyway, so it was anti-Christian. Harvard. Huh? Yale. Yale. Oh, sorry. Oops, Yale. I said Harvard. Yale. Whoops, don't yell at me. Yeah, these lame jokes are coming all morning. So he's at Yale, Timothy Dwight's at Yale, and he starts a Bible study. Now, Timothy Dwight is a grandson, great-grandson, grandson, grandson grandson of Jonathan Edwards. He is moving more in that Reformed thinking, Calvinistic thinking, a more higher church. And so he starts a Bible study, and he's not for the stuff that's happening in Kentucky, by the way. He's not about that. But in Yale, they start this intellectual study of God's Word. Yale has a revival. A third of the campus comes to faith in Christ and Yale gets turned upside down. This is all the beginnings of the Second Great Awakening. Now let's get to the guy who really, he gets the credit, but he's just one guy. Charles Finney. Charles Finney started out trying to become a lawyer. It blows my mind how many lawyers God has used to bring to church. As bad a time as we give them. And if you're an attorney here, I just want to know we love you. But I do have a few attorney jokes, and I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, Charles Finney is, um, you know, he's an, he's studying to be an attorney, and he's leading music in a Presbyterian church. But he isn't a Christian yet, and he knows it. He's not. He hasn't encountered God. So one day he goes out into the woods on his own, and basically just throws up a prayer to God, like God, I need you to save me. Went off by himself. God showed up for Finney that day. It wrecked his life. Finney said, God's love came. This this phrase may sound familiar to you. He said, wave after wave of love came crashing over me. He was overwhelmed by the experience. Finney soon started preaching in the Rochester area of New York. Um, Didn't start out real smooth, but a pastor... Gave him the pulpit for a season, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to move. People began to come to faith. Uh, At one time, a witness said, When Finney talks about hell, you can smell smoke, I swear. (laughs) Finney's view on revival was, God wants to give revival. And if we will come to him and meet the conditions, and he has a lot of writings about those, then God will send a revival. Now, I'm setting up this little history piece of the second Great Awakening. Last week, next week will be our last sermon in that series, and we'll talk about the third Great Awakening or the business' Revival. But what I want you to see, every time there's a revival, things drastically change. And in this case, the, the first Great Awakening was really about repentance People turned back to God. The second great awakening was really about doing righteousness, living righteously. People turned their lives around in a huge way. I mean, America had grown so exponentially by this time, and people had just turned, they were turning their lives around. And that's why today the title of the message is Freedom. Because freedom is the freedom to do, the power to do what's right. And that's what righteousness is. So when you hear us as pastors and church leaders talking about righteousness and even holiness, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you hear us use those terms. I know there's a lot of syllables there, and you're going, what's he really talking about? Sounds like church lingo. We're just talking about righteousness being the power to actually do the right thing. That's all. Does that make sense? You with me still? Okay, the history lesson's over. You guys good now? All the, all the history phobes are like, oh, thank Jesus, that's over. <laughs> and all the history lovers are out there going, oh man, I wish there was some more of that. So anyway, righteousness is simply doing the right thing. So I want to look at some things about what get in the way of the right thing, and let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew. It'll be on the screen. Uh, if you were able to get a handout, it's probably not actually on there. Never mind, forget I said that. All right, so... Matthew twenty three one through three. Jesus said this. <clears throat> then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, "The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are, the <clears throat> and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. Follow their instruction, but not their example, for they don't practice what they teach." Jesus tells us about. A new kind of, what, person, annoyance, uh, parasite on faith. And that person he calls and he names as a hypocrite. And Jesus has a lot to say about these hypocrites. They, they have a really good talk. They sound really good. They know the religious lingo. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray publicly. They like to do what they do in front of you. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. And so uh, I'm going to start rapping in a minute and watch my children scream. (laughs) My wife is really on edge right now. So the hypocrite has a good talk. They sound good. The, the hypocrite puts on a good show. Jesus goes on to say, when you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets, drawing attention to, to call attention to their acts of charity. Verse 16 in the same chapter, he says, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. So you got this group of people. They talk a good talk. They put on a really good show. but And they even sound Right. Jesus said in, Matthew, in verse 13 to 23, he says, Hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you don't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. This is, I, there are a lot of hot topics in our world today. And uh, several weeks ago, I had to deal with one of these hot topics. It's, it's the topic of Judgment. And I believe that that whole no judgment thing has been twisted. And I'll tell you why. See, what a hypocrite does is a hypocrite pronounces judgment slash condemnation. A hypocrite, hypocrite, according to Jesus, slams the door of heaven. They basically alienate people. That's what a hypocrite does. Okay, they, They themselves feel to be right, but they judge other people unworthy and cut them off. I'm going to suggest an idea to you today. That there is an opposite to judgment. And it's probably not what you think it is. I believe the opposite to being judgmental and condemning people and cutting them off is ministry. Ministry. Here's why I think that. What's happening in our world today is we live in a world that's very easily offended. And so rather than engage people who are living and enduring their pain we are being silent and we are calling that being tolerant or forgiven and so forth but that's not actually what we're doing what we're actually doing is going these people have problems i don't know what to do about it so i'm going to shut the door on them i'm not going to deal with it that is hypocrisy that is actually judgment They agree with me right here. I love these people. I don't know about the rest of you guys. No, I'm I'm just kidding. What's my point? Jude has my point, so I will let Jude share it. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. This passage is the opposite of being judgmental, because this passage tells me, "Don't block them off; enter in." That's what we're here to do. You see, when we talk about doing the right thing, we're talking about loving a world that's going to get offended when you love them. Right. We are. Hey, let me I'll, let me let me mess with you. You got kids? Have you ever offended them loving them? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Surprised I survived. It's not really over yet, but I'm just counting my chickens before they hatch. Guys, there will always be a hypocrite between you and the right thing. Always. That's never not going to be. Now, I had an old pastor who used to say, if a hypocrite's between you and God, then he's closer to God than you are. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I didn't say that. He said that. <laughs> I'm just saying, we're called to live, we're called to do the right thing. There will always be someone in the way of the right thing. Let's look at another Bible story. So, <clears throat> oh, there it is. That was the point. I had a slide for it and everything. I was, Man, I'm clever. (laughs) Anyway, so. So in 2 Chronicles, there's this cool story about a king named Asa. Now, Asa is a very interesting story because uh, Asa did it right, and then he did it wrong. Anybody else identify? Did it right, did it wrong? Okay, good deal. So what happens is this cool story in uh, 2 Chronicles 14. This huge Ethiopian army, million people strong, comes up against Judah. And this is what Asa does. Is how he handles the problem. He cries out to God. uh, He cries out to the Lord God, O Lord. No one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. This This is how you do righteousness right here. You turn to God, but we'll come back to that. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. Man, that's how you do it. So Asa did this right, million-man army, everything's, and they come out of it, I think, uh, nope, nope, hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. They come out, they win the battle. They win an impossible battle because the king said, God, you're all I've got. Now, fast forward the clock, many years, a few decades. Another army comes up. This is just a small army, king of Judah. Rather than cry out to God, King Asa turns to politics. Now, I know the election's this week, and you probably took that as a stab, but it wasn't meant that way, okay? Unless it really hurt. (laughs) He turned to politics, and he tried to get someone else on his side. And so uh, he he paid someone, another army, to come and make the king of Israel, I'm sorry if I said Judah earlier, king of Israel run away. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16, 7, and I just want to thank God every day I didn't have Hanani's job. So Hanani's the prophet, the seer. And he says he came to King Asa and told him. He says, "Because you've put your trust in the king of Aram, which was the king he paid to run off the nation of Israel, instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram." Which is man, what an interesting twist on the story. Because the king of Israel is attacking him, he pays his enemy to fight his enemy, and he misses a chance to destroy his enemy because he didn't trust God. Uh, Let that put this in perspective. Sometimes your problems in life are really opportunities to end the work of your enemy. Good point, huh? All right, good deal. So so he kind of blew it. So King Asa blew it there, and he turned the other way. Hannah and I got to go to jail over that. That sounds really exciting. Uh, Verse 9, the the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. <laughs> this is Hannah and I talking, by the way. From now on, you will be at war. So that does not work out for him. So what's lesson two? Lesson one is there's always going to be a hypocrite in the way. Lesson two, there's always going to be a crisis in the way. Guys, what we, we just cannot seem to wrap our heads around as, as Americans, and as Christian Americans in particular, is that we are not living in times of peace, and you haven't lived in times of peace since the creation of the world, since the fall. We live in a world at war. You have an enemy that's doing everything he can to make today the worst day of your life, and then when you go to bed tonight hoping tomorrow will be better, he's planning on how that he might make tomorrow the worst day of your life. That's the reality. It's not a miracle that we, uh, we, have, that we don't have crisis. I mean, it's it's not a question that we have crisis in life. The miracle is that we ever have good things because we have such a determined enemy to destroy us. But God is good, and he gives us so many good things. So there's always going to be a crisis in the way of the right thing. There's always going to be a hypocrite in the way of the right thing. There's also <clears throat> one, more, one more I'll go into, one more thing that's always in the way. The Bible says this in Matthew seven thirteen. You probably have heard this passage. Jesus says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Jesus talks about that in life there will always be this prevailing flow, that everyone will kind of fall into the prevailing flow. They will go along with society, and that's the broad way. And it doesn't lead to heaven, it doesn't lead to life. In fact, many of you are on that road today. You're, you're just going with the flow of the world, and you're living a theology. You don't know you're living a theology. You think you're just doing it like everyone else does it, and it's the right way to do it, but you're basically living a theology. What's the theology? Be happy. Just do whatever it takes to be happy. That's the that's the Broadway. Jesus did not die for your happiness. In fact, that's why many of you have struggled with Jesus, because he refuses to make you happy. I just messed with some other theologies right there. I think Jesus wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to be holy. What is holy? The root idea of holy is whole. Whole. He wants you to be whole, complete. You see, you can spend your whole life and be happy and never be whole. In fact, we spend a ton of money and time trying to distract ourselves from our brokenness so we can be happy. Jesus says, hey, I love you so much. I want you to be whole, and I want your happiness to flow out of your wholeness, not your happiness to be a distraction from your brokenness. Does that make sense? Amen? Still here? Some of you left. Come back. We're still here. Same room. So, now, uh, there's this broad way, this thing that makes you happy. Jesus points us down a different way. And look at Jesus' theology, the way Jesus thinks about God. So when I say theology, replace it with think about God. So you know what I'm talking about, okay? This is what Jesus thinks about God, Matthew 18, 12. This is the weirdest verse. You can own it. It's weird. There's a lot of scriptures that blow my mind. This is one. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Goodbye, sheep. That's what I would do. You should have stayed near us. Sorry. What will he do? What does Jesus say to? This is why Jesus is weird. Everybody, there was a man who once said Jesus is either right or a lunatic. Okay. And it's true. Listen to what he says. What would you do? Will, won't will he? Jesus just assumes he will do this. Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost? That's one stupid sheep. <laughs> and Jesus says it's worth leaving the 99. That's a hint at what the narrow way looks like. That's a hint at what righteousness looks like. Righteousness, doing the right thing, isn't, isn't the, the most comfortable thing. In fact, sometimes doing the right thing is the most risky of proposals. Sometimes doing the right thing has real consequences. That's why we need people to stop living in a way that I just want to be happy. We need people who live in a way that like, we need to be holy. We need to do what's right no matter the cost. And that brings us to our third argument here. There's always going to be a hypocrite in the way. There's always going to be a crisis in the way. And there's always going to be a convenience in the way. This is why we struggle doing the right thing. Now, I know how the enemy works. And some of you just heaped a bunch of guilt on yourself. I know, but I'm going to try harder. Because that's worked so well in the past. Right? Right? Isn't that, we struggle with a sin, or an addiction, or a grief, or a loss, and we keep telling ourselves, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it. And hey, hey, we've all gone to churches. Pastor gets up there and says, you know what? You just got to do it. But you can You know that from experience by now. How many of us in this room have tried to beat addiction? And failed, and failed, and failed. Tried to fix a relationship, and failed, and failed, and failed. Fix finances. Fix the job. We spend our whole lives, men, spend our whole lives trying to fix it. Fix our marriage. Fix our kids. Fix our car. Sorry, I'm I'm the the non-mechanic in the house. We can't. What are we supposed to do? Because I'm sick and tired of that message of you just got to do it. When my Lord and Savior said, I have died that you could have life and it will totally rock. That's my translation. Okay? All right. So let's move on down. Good deal. Righteousness. What is righteousness? It's doing the right thing, but it's. Right There's no power to do the right thing in you or me. Willpower is a low power. Yeah, you can do some things with it, but not much. Usually all you can do is switch addictions. So if you're like me and you're eating too much, you might have enough willpower to switch addiction to working out too much. And I know some of you are going, I would like to work out too much. It's it's a mixed bag. It's still an addiction. It's still an obsession. Why are we like that? So I'm going to propose an idea. I believe that we were created to be obsessed. I believe that we were created for an addiction. Now, you're sitting there going, I'm not saying anything to that. I'm gonna sit back and wait where he goes with this. Good choice, very good, because I was setting you up. Totally setting you up. So let's talk about what righteousness is. So righteousness starts when I begin to know that God cares about some things. First of all, I begin to realize um, that I lost my slide. And it's coming back. That God cares. What does he care, what does he care about? Michael, what would you write down? Let's go into the story of Paul. Acts chapter 9. You guys remember Paul? In Acts chapter 9, he's still called Saul. Why is he called Saul? My name in English is Michael. In Spanish, if, you, if I were born in Latin America, they would call me Miguel. If I were in um, France, they'd call me Michelle. If, they were in, if I lived in Italia, Italy, they would call me pasta lover. <laughs> Saul is the Hebrew form of the name Paul Paul is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Saul Does that make sense? What you really need to understand is this The fact that Saul started going by Paul is a miracle It is off the charts insane that he did that But let's get into his story Acts chapter 9 Paul is not looking for Jesus But he is He's at the end of his rope, really. He's, I believe, personally, that he's, he's beginning to see the fact that here he is supposed to be a Jew, loving God, and love God and love people is part of the issue. And here he is throwing people in jail and having them killed. That's his routine in life at present. And so, anyway, Acts 9, Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus. This is what happened. He fell to the ground... He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He answers, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So here's Jesus finding Saul and changing his life. Now, just I want to read the scriptures. I'll come back and describe them. So let's jump into a little bit further and talk about Ananias. So Ananias is praying. And the Lord shows up to Ananias. Ananias, the Lord says, yes, Lord, Ananias replies. The Lord said, go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. We're just jumping around in the story. Down to verse 15. Ananias goes, and here's what the Lord says to Saul. But the Lord said, go for Saul, I'm sorry, to Ananias, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I want to show you three things out of Paul's conversion that will help us. First of all, this. I said righteousness is about God caring. What does God care about? First of all, God cares about who you are. Notice that when Jesus shows up for Saul, he doesn't call him names. He doesn't say, hey, Saul, you've been a fool. You've abandoned the true uh, focus of Judaism. You're killing my followers? He doesn't chasten Saul. In fact, if you read the story and pull it together, what you find is that Jesus says to him, Saul, you're my chosen worker. He calls him a different name than he's there. I'm sorry, I lost my, I don't know why I can't keep track of my notes today. Sorry, guys. I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. He says, you are my chosen instrument. That's what he says. So if you jump at the, verse, the very first verse when Jesus shows up, Jesus says, I am Jesus. And if you go down to the last verse where Ananias shows up, Jesus says, you are my chosen instrument. <sighs> what does Jesus say about you? God cares about who you are. This is important. What if you... Are a chosen instrument. A lot of times we wear labels in our hearts about ourselves, don't we? Especially when we mess up, sin, fall back into that addiction or whatever it is. And we call ourselves names. You loser. You're a failure. You can't do this. That echo chamber. The accuser. We're we're basically coming alongside our enemy, Satan, the accuser, and attacking ourselves. God never insulted Saul. God called Saul chosen. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges that's going to face us in the world of righteousness as believers and doing the right things is realizing who we really are. Paul said about us, Paul said we are holy and blameless without a single fault in Colossians 1.22. Holy and blameless without a single fault. You, holy, whole, blameless. No one can lay a charge against you without a single fault. We keep looking at our circumstances, trying to find our value, and God says, I want you to look at the cross because that's what I think you're worth. Does that make sense? That's who you are. Peter put it this way. He said, you are not like that. He's talking about a bunch of people who had turned away and had failed in their faith journey, so to speak, in a big way, false prophets, false teachers. He said, you're not like that. I want you to hear this. As I read this, I don't want you to hear as a bunch of church people listen to Peter address people who died 2,000 years ago. I want you to hear Peter address the church because that's who this was written to and you as followers of Christ are the church. And Peter says to you, you're not like that. You're not the failures. You're not the reprobates. You're not the rebels. You are a chosen people. Jesus said, Paul... You are my chosen instrument. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others oh, the goodness of God. You know what that is? That's righteousness. As a result of who you are, you can act. We're struggling with our righteousness because we're trying to do before we know who we are. We're trying to do our way into Christianity, into faith. We think that if we can do enough righteous things, we will be Christian. That is not how this works. Our righteousness is always and forever and forever shall be imputed. What does that mean? Jesus earned it and stuck it on you. Amen. Amen. Leonard, thanks for the support up here, man. I'm telling you. (laughs) I'm going to have to start dragging them in. Dragging them in. My question here is, if God knows who you are and God says who you are, who are you to live so low? Who are we to live so powerless, so cowardly, so insignificantly when we are infused with the very person of Jesus. I think you're like me, though. I think you want to live God's reality for you. I, is that what you want? I mean, do you really just want to survive until you die? I don't. I, I, did, not, I did not come to faith So, I could just get by until they bury me or burn me or whatever they do. I don't even care. I'm not going. So, God cares who you are. God does care about what you do, He does care about what you do. But it's got to start in the right place. It can't start with your strength, it's got to start with His. But when it, when we think about things like what we do, we come back to what Paul said. Jesus said to Paul in Acts nine nine fifteen. I'm sorry, he said to Ananias. He said, "Go for Saul is my chosen instrument for what? To do something. You were chosen to do something. Okay, not to do nothing. To do something." I don't know what that is, but in Paul's case, it was to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. So God saved Paul, showed up for Paul, changed Paul, changed his name even. Um, Interesting. Do you know when Paul stopped going by Saul? When he literally faced the devil down in another person. That was when Luke changed his name from Saul to Paul in Acts 13. Crazy. Crazy. He called out the devil in this guy And then from that point on, he's Paul to us, and that's why we know him as Paul. Acts 13, if you want to read the story, it's super cool. Paul saw his life not as something he did for himself, not as his pursuit of happiness. In fact, Paul was nuts. (laughs) Paul said, if in this life only I have hope of Christ, I am of all men most miserable. Do you know what that means? You've heard people say, I tell you what, even if I uh, die and find out there's not a heaven, I'll be happy. This, this life for Jesus on earth has been good. Paul would disagree. I, I'm, I'm not saying that's a wrong way to look at things. I'm not condemning that statement. I'm just saying Paul said we should live so passionately here and burn so brightly here that it costs us dearly to be here so that when we die, the reward of heaven is that much sweeter. Paul says if there's no heaven, I'm wasting my life. That's what he said. What a way to live. Hey, come on, young people. Let me ask you a question. Don't you really want something worth that to live for? Don't you want something that you believe in so much that you will just burn up for it here? I mean, do you really want the American dream? Because I, you know, I looked at the last chapter. Either way, you end up dead. <laughs> Everybody has one final retirement party. It's called a funeral. Oh my gosh. He does care what you do. The revivals of the past have always been preceded and accompanied by a, an awareness and a brokenness over our actions. They have. We, we, uh, we, we, when we get into the presence of God, we realize how much we don't deserve Him. But when we pour into the grace of God, we discover how much He wants us. Ah, That's profound. God does care about what you do. And then God also cares about those you touch. God loves this world. There isn't a soul in it God doesn't love. I don't care their crimes. I don't care their failures. I don't care how many people they've hurt. God loves them. And God loves you. You'll never outrun His love. He's always going to love you. As His child, He adores you. He wants us to touch people. I, always, I have this strange imagination. You might have figured this out. I always, I always wondered what it would be like if God just like raptured people out the second they got saved. That would be so weird. Joe just got. S- <laughs> I think it would impact services. I think people would go, I don't think I can do that. Where'd he go? Sorry, I, I told you I have a strange imagination. All right. Jesus was here on earth, and he touched people. He touched them. And not only did he touch people, people touched him. Did you know that? A lot of people touched him, and they were healed. One of my favorites is the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus didn't even know about her. God didn't reveal to her that she was sick or even who she was. And she has this this sickness, and she believes Jesus can heal her. And she literally chases him down through a crowd and stretches like a last gasp over the finish line, just trying to touch just the tip of his robe. She just believes in her mind, if I can just touch that, I'll be healed. And she does. She makes the leap, and bam, she's healed. That's what happens when people touch Jesus. Yeah, go ahead, man. Jesus is awesome. (laughs) This is why we're in this. It's him. This is why we're here to touch these. Now, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I've talked to you about how that righteousness really comes from God. The power to do it comes from God. Okay? If you want to be holy, spend spend time with someone who's holy. If you want to be righteous, spend time with someone who does right. Who's holy and right? Jesus. The Father. The Holy Spirit. Here's, Here's this dream I have. It's... I only have it because I've seen it in other people what if we what if I spent so much time with Jesus that when I touched people Jesus touched people that's why we're still here that's why God doesn't just zap us out although that might be cool I'm planning on getting saved right after all my bills right before all my bills are due God cares about people that we touch and we're here to touch people like God would touch them um, Jesus said to us peace be with you I like that part that's good let's stop there for a second and just soak that peace okay now the rest of it As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That's what righteousness is. It's being Jesus. It's not just talking about Him. It's not just thinking about Him. It's not just going to church and doing churchy things and kind of slapping on the top of a life that's really just about you. It's about actually touching people with Jesus. And there's only one way to do that to spend a lot of time with Jesus this is why we worship I know some of you probably uh, come in sometimes and go, I don't know why they do the singing thing I'm not really comfortable with that I'll tell you why we're trying to help you get in the presence of the one who can touch you Amen. I'm just a teacher I teach the Bible that's, the, that's my expertise teach the Bible and I, I love the guy who wrote it too there's that but understand, I, I can't help you. I could get psychology degrees and Freud you out and all that stuff and not help you. In fact, I bet I could get a hundred people in the room to raise their hands and say they went to someone for some kind of counseling like that and it didn't help. Not that you shouldn't get it. But I will tell you this, my Lord and Savior. He makes people whole. He makes people whole. That's why we feel broken. That's why we're struggling with depression. That's why we struggle financially and with our addictions, because we need to be made whole. When Jesus makes you whole, then doing the right thing, touching people with the right thing, it changes everything. What's the point? (laughs) If I can live my life, true freedom, like I said earlier, true freedom is not doing what I want, it's doing what's right. And if I can live my life in such a way so that my only concern is the presence and the example of the one who died for me and saved me, Jesus Christ the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and they're my concern, then all of a sudden I'm free. I don't need you to like me to do the right thing. I don't need you to affirm me in doing the right thing. Because if you think about it, the real reason we're not free is is not that we don't have the ability to be free, it's that we are afraid to be free. We don't want to be judged for being free. My favorite free people are those Christians who unashamedly follow Jesus Christ. You might call them fanatics. I call them right. I do. I do. Someone who loves Jesus so much, they don't care what you think. Now, that doesn't mean you get to be offensive and a jerk about your faith. There's plenty of those people out there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a a way to live life where you do the right thing for people and you touch people as God would do it. That's freedom. And in that freedom, no one needs to understand and no one needs to approve. Let's do the right thing. Let's pray. Worship team. Set your people free, Father. Free from a world that would enslave them with foolish ideas. Free from the bounds of materialism and sin and addiction and broken relationships and brokenness. Lord, set us free through a Red Sea, into a wilderness if need be, there to discover that You are the source of our needs, that You meet every need. You are our rock. You are our river of water. You are our bread. Lord, and bring us through this wilderness into a promised land where giants fall, cities crumble in the face of the goodness and the rightness of God's people. I ask you would help us today to lean into you. To seek you. To to understand that you are our strength and to turn to you and seek your presence. As we go into this last song, help us to, to give you our attention in full joy and focus on you. Set your people free. Show us that we are free. In Jesus' name, amen.